Many of you have traveled over that ribbon of black asphalt, which wends its way through the mountains of northern Utah, opens into the valley floor of the Great Salt Lake, and then meanders southward on its appointed course. Interstate number 15 is its official name, and this super freeway carries the output of factories, the products of commerce, and hosts of humanity toward their appointed destinations. A few evenings ago, while driving home from work, I approached the entrance to Interstate Number 15, and there at the on-ramp I beheld a curious scene. Three youthful hitchhikers held aloft homemade cardboard signs announcing their hoped-for destinations. The first sign read, Los Angeles. The second, Boise. But it was the third sign that caught my attention and caused me to ponder its message. It read, not Los Angeles, California, nor Boise, Idaho, but the message consisted of but one word. It said simply, anywhere. <laughs> Here was one who was willing to go in any direction according to the whim of the driver that stopped to give him a free ride. What an enormous price to pay for a free ride. No goal, no objective, no idea where he wanted to go. Actually, the road to anywhere is but the road to nowhere, and the road to nowhere leads to dreams evaporated, opportunities squandered, and a life misused. Unlike that youthful hitchhiker, you and I have the opportunity to choose the direction we should go. In fact, it was the Apostle Paul who likened life to a great race. To the saints at Corinth he counseled, Know ye not that they which run in the race run all, but one receiveth the prize. So run that ye might obtain. In our zeal, I would hope we would not overlook the teachings from Ecclesiastes where the counsel came, The race goeth not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, but actually the prize belongs to him who endures to the end. Every one of us must therefore ask himself some penetrating questions. Where am I going? How do I intend to get there? What is my divine destiny? When I think of the race of life, I think of another race from boyhood days. Perhaps a shared experience will help us to formulate answers to those universal questions. When I was a boy about 10, my companions and I would take pocket knives in hand, and then from the soft wood of a willow tree, we would fashion tiny toy boats and then with a triangle-shaped cotton sail in place, we would launch our boats in a race down the relatively turbulent waters of the Provo River. We would then run along the bank and watch the tiny vessels, sometimes bobbing violently in the swift current, other times sailing serenely as the water deepened. During one such race, one craft led all the rest toward the appointed finish line. But at the last moment, 
the current swept it too close to a large whirlpool, and the little vessel heaved to its side and capsized. Around and around and around it went in the whirlpool, unable to get back into the main current. Finally, it came to rest at the end of the pool, amid the flotsam and the jetsam which surrounded it, held fast by the finger-like tentacles of the grasping green moss. You see, the toy boats of childhood had no keel for stability, no rudder to determine direction, and no source of power. Their destination, like the hitchhikers, was anywhere, but inevitably downstream. Our Heavenly Father has, on the other hand, given to you and me attributes which should keep us above the currents of life. We have been endowed with the power to think, to reason, to choose. When we were launched on our voyage of mortality, it was arranged that we could have two-way communication with that source of spiritual power which would eventually lead us back to home port safely and soundly. I speak of prayer. I speak, too, of the whisperings of the still, small voice within each one of us, and I don't overlook the Holy Scriptures written by mariners who successfully sailed the seas which we, too, must cross. What must we do to guarantee a safe voyage? What steps can we take? I should like to enumerate four. First, every one of us must develop the capacity to envision his objective. What is our purpose? The prophet Joseph Smith said that happiness is the object and the design of our existence and will be the result thereof if we but walk the pathway which leads to it. And that pathway, said he, is virtue, uprightness, faithfulness, holiness, and keeping of all the commandments of God. There, in one sentence, we not only have an objective, but we have the formula whereby we might attain it. Number two, it is incumbent upon each one of us to develop the ability to make continuous progress and effort. Have you noticed how many of our Heavenly Father's beautiful dealings with His children have been when they were in the act of accomplishing something? I think of the visit of the Master to the two disciples on the way to Emmaus, the Good Samaritan on the road to Jericho, Nephi on his return to Jerusalem, Father Lehi en route to the land of promise, Joseph Smith on the way to Carthage and martyrdom, Brigham Young on that great plain en route to the valley home of the saints. Number three, we must not detour from our appointed pathway. There will be the inevitable forks and turnings in the road, the trials of our faith, the temptations of our times, but we simply cannot afford to detour, for some detours lead to destruction and spiritual death.
Let us avoid those moral quicksands which surround us, the whirlpools of sin, and the cross-currents of uninspired philosophies. That wicked Pied Piper of sin, even Lucifer, still plays his lilting melody to attract the unsuspecting away from their chosen pathway, away from the counsel of inspired parents, away from obedience to the commandments of God. Remember that he seeks not the refuse of humanity, he seeks the very elect of God. Remember how King David first listened, then followed, then fell. But then so did Cain in an earlier time and Judas Iscariot in a later one. Fourth and finally, if we're to attain the prize, we must be willing to pay the price. The apprentice does not become the master craftsman without the necessary time and effort and training. The lawyer does not practice until he has successfully passed the bar. And the doctor that waits upon your needs and my needs cannot do so until he has first completed his internship. In effect, you are the one who has to decide whether you'll do it or toss it aside, whether you'll seek for the goal at Safar or must be content to stay where you are. Let us remember how Saul the persecutor became Paul the proselyter, how Simon the fisherman became Peter, that apostle of spiritual power and strength. And let no one of us forget that before Easter there had to be a cross. If we're looking for an example, may I suggest our elder brother, as a small boy he gave us the watchword, said he, wished ye not that I must be about my father's business? As a grown man, he taught by example, honesty, obedience, compassion, love, devotion. His inspired word to you and to me continues the same as always. Come, follow me. One who listened and followed the Savior was the Mormon missionary Randall Ellsworth. You may have read about him in your newspapers or seen him on your television screen. Randall Ellsworth was serving as a Mormon missionary, a representative of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints in Guatemala when that devastating earthquake, which took the lives of 18,000 people, hurled a beam across his back and pinned him to the floor. He was rendered totally paralyzed from his waist down. His kidneys were severely damaged. After emergency medical aid, Randall Ellsworth was flown to a hospital near his native Maryland. And it was while confined in that hospital that a television reporter conducted an interview with him, which I just happened to tune into on the evening news. The reporter was not too discreet. He said, Randall, is there any feeling at all in your legs? He said, not yet, but there will be. Do you think that you'll ever walk again? 
Well, the doctors aren't sure, but I think I will. Randall, do you think you'll ever go back to Guatemala and finish your mission? I don't know, he said, but I hope that I do. Then the reporter asked, I understand you have a very special letter from none other than the President of the United States. How do you feel about that message? I'm very honored, said he, to have received a get well letter from the President of my country, even Gerald Ford. But I have another letter here, a letter from the President of my church, President Spencer W. Kimball of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. This I cherish. With him praying for me, with the prayers of my family, my friends, and my missionary companions, I will return to Guatemala and complete the mission to which I was called. I turned to my beloved companion and said, there's a young man that does not know the extent of his injuries. Our information in the missionary department would lead us to believe that he may never walk again, far less return to Guatemala. How grateful am I that the time of faith and the age of miracles are not past history. Randall Ellsworth, as he lay in that hospital bed, perhaps could best have his condition described by the words of Rudyard Kipling in his famed recessional. The tumult and the shouting dies, the captains and the kings depart. Still stands that ancient sacrifice, and humble and a contrite heart. Lord God of hosts, be with us yet, lest we forget, lest we forget. And God did not forget Randall Ellsworth, he who had a humble and a contrite heart. Little by little the feeling came back to his limbs. In his own words he said, I crowded myself as hard as I could. Where therapy was required once a day, I participated twice and three times a day. I so much wanted to walk again. At length, his progress was so phenomenal that we of the missionary department sent word to him that his return to Guatemala was authorized. In his own words, he said, When I first got that letter, I was so excited I didn't know what to do. And then I went into my bedroom and I began to cry. Then I dropped to my knees and I began to pray. Two months ago, Randall Ellsworth, walking on his own power, entered the airplane which took him back to Guatemala, back to the land that he loved, back to the people to whom he had been called. Behind, he left a score of skeptics, a host of doubters, but many others amazed at the power of God, astounded at the miracle of faith and the reward of determination. Ahead lay many honest, God-fearing people. They shall hear the gospel. They shall accept the ordinances. Because Randall Ellsworth, like another missionary, Paul the Apostle, overcame his thorn in the flesh and has returned to lead them to life eternal. My prayer today 
in this wonderful conference is that you and I and all people may have the capacity to do as Randall Ellsworth did, namely to envision our objective, to make the continuous effort necessary to achieve our goal, never to detour from our appointed course, and fourth, be willing to pay the sometimes very high price of faith and determination to achieve the prize. When we do so, we at the end of mortality will receive from that eternal judge the plaudit, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of thy Lord. Each one of us will then have completed his journey, not to a nebulous anywhere, but to his heavenly home, even exaltation in the celestial kingdom of our Heavenly Father. My prayer today is that this may be our goal and our reward, and I offer the prayer sincerely in the name of Jesus Christ the Master. Amen.